listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Well, greetings once again, members and friends of Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Uh, Greetings in a new year, year 2023. Happy New Year to all. I trust that your celebrations of Christmas were very edifying. Uh, They certainly were for the Trice family and for our church family. And uh, they were, as is the case for many of us, year after year, also crazy busy. And um, folks, that has everything to do with the silence of the Resurrection Life podcast the last few weeks. I have had many holiday and end-of-year distractions during the month of December. Uh, Today's podcast is actually one that I intended to record by the end of the year. It was my goal to do so. It would be uh, the third and final one on the topic of the formal education of our children, certainly something that's altogether central to the calling of Christian parents. Uh, So I'm doing that here at the outset of the new year. Uh, The length of this podcast may Uh, offset, some of you may say more than offset, my podcasting absence uh, in recent weeks. So friends, as I return to the subject of the education of our children, let me just note what I have done so far in uh, summary, at least. Uh, I first of all sang the merits of homeschooling, at least when it is done well, and especially for the early years of our children. But I've also pointed to the need in most Christian families uh, for a cooperative effort among themselves in the formal education of their children. Homeschooling is hard, and most homeschoolers need a way uh, to band together to assist uh, each other in the education of their children. Now, on that second point, uh, let me just point out that the cooperative effort I'm talking about by Christian parents is, of course, in its most a developed uh, form what Christian schools are and have always been about. Uh, Christian schools are simply the most formal expression of parents joining forces in the Christian education of their children. And I'll just say again, the Christian school movement in America was the predecessor to the homeschool movement. I'll go so far as to say the Christian school movement was the first great awakening uh, of Christian parents in America. So um, as I say that, I also like to say that Christian education, the founding of Christian schools in particular, goes back even uh, much further uh, than the history of our own country, as we know, especially if you're a Protestant, especially even further if you're a Presbyterian, you should know uh, that the Christian education of children was vital to our fathers uh, advancing the cause of Reformation uh, in the very early days of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, some years ago, I ran across a little snippet of history from Uh, the Reformation in Scotland, and it was of great interest to me in this area of Christian education. Uh, This is a portion of John Knox's first book of discipline, a book of order for the church, uh, in 1560, and there's a section in there in which he's exhorting uh, the fathers of the church uh, on the necessity of schools. That's how he speaks of it. He says this, 
of necessity it is that your honors be most careful for the virtuous education and godly upbringing of the youth of this realm. If either ye now thirst unfeignedly for the advancement of Christ's glory, or yet desire the continuance of his benefits to the generation following. For as the youth must succeed to us, so we ought to be careful that they have the knowledge and erudition to profit and comfort that which ought to be most dear to us, to wit, the church and spouse of the Lord Jesus Uh, And then uh, Knox goes on to say, Of necessity, therefore, we judge it that every several church have a schoolmaster appointed, such a one as is able, at least, to teach grammar and the Latin tongue, if the town is of any reputation. If it is upland, I uh, think in Scotland that means out in the boondocks, where the people convene to doctrine but once in the week, then must either the reader or the minister there appointed take care of over the children and youth of the parish, to instruct them in their first rudiments, and especially in the catechism, as we have it now translated in the book of our common order called the Order of Geneva. I realize this is all very um, particular to Presbyterian history, but folks, I read that little excerpt because I love this vision of the reformer John Knox and those who uh, shouldered that great cause with him. It really does seem to be the ideal. Every church having a Christian school, everyone having access in that congregation to Christian education uh, at whatever level or degree of formality it is, a homeschool co-op or a Christian school, that seems to be the ideal to me. I'm not sure of this, but I think probably those traditions— that have come closest to that ideal after those first few generations in Scotland would probably be our Dutch Calvinist brothers, uh, if not a school for every church, at least for every group of churches, at least in uh, some of what I have seen of that tradition. And indeed, the Christian education movement, as I think I've already mentioned, owes a great deal to our Dutch uh, Reformed brothers. I have, uh, since moving to Charlotte, Uh, Back in the late 1900s, I have been so pleased, however, uh, to see Christian schools founded by Baptists and Presbyterians, among many others, uh, and for us in this city, in the area of Christian education, uh, we have a wealth of good options. Now, I hope it's obvious by now, when I use the expression Christian education, particularly in the title of this podcast, uh, that's a reference to both Christian homeschooling, as well as to more traditional Christian academies. I say that because by means of one or the other or a combination of the two, parents are providing a distinctly Christian education to their children. We can debate, I trust in a friendly way, the pros and cons of the homeschool versus the academy, but I consider it beyond debate that they are both by now tried and true, faithful means of providing a Christian education for Christian children. Now all that by way of a lengthy review and introduction, and now the difficult question that I want to take up today in a podcast called Christian Education? And the difficult question is this, 
uh, is providing a distinctly Christian formal education the only faithful option for Christian parents? And friends, as I put the question that way, I'm sure you recognize that I want to talk today about the public school option. I confess I'm not eager to do this. I feel a little bit like I'm taking a lick at a tar baby. I know that strong feelings run high on this subject and all sides, but I don't know how I can avoid it uh, in a series like this one on Christian parenting. And it is, in fact, a question I've been thinking a lot about over the years. I'm sure I have more thinking to do, but I want as carefully and as compassionately as I can to share my thoughts as a pastor in particular on this question. What about the public school option for our Christian kids? Here's how I'm going to spend the time in this podcast. I'm going to first, I want to speak to what I've seen over the years that makes this such a pressing question for many Christian parents. In other words, I want to talk about the factors that conspire to make the public school option really quite compelling uh, to many Christian parents. I want to acknowledge those things at the outset. And then the rest of the time, I'm going to give Christian parents who are considering the public school option several prudential considerations that I will say in advance, in my mind, point decidedly against this option. I'm not going to be legislating in this podcast. I'm going to be giving counsel, as in all these podcasts, but as one who, in Paul's words, uh, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. So that's what's just ahead, if you choose uh, to listen on. So first, what is it that can make the public school option so compelling for Christian parents. And I want to start with the sheer expense of providing a Christian education. I think that alone turns many parents to the public schools. Now, I suspect I'd get fairly broad agreement among Christian parents uh, about what might be the ideal for our kids. Maybe there would be at least broad agreement that a robust, a distinctly Christian education in all areas of life would be ideal, but then it would be pointed out quite reasonably, Pastor, I don't live in an ideal world. I just can't afford 12 years of Christian education for each one of my five, six, seven, (laughs) however many kids. And this is uh, quite compelling because even the homeschool option is far from a free one. Uh, if it's done well, it's a big hit on a budget, especially compared to free public schooling. And those costs, even if the homeschool add up over the years, especially if the fi- family size is increasing. And it, the hidden cost for many families and the most expensive element is the time commitment when families would otherwise Uh, have two incomes, and if uh, finances are tight and mom has to work as well as dad, well, homeschooling is simply not an option. On the other hand, traditional Christian schools, they, oh, please believe me, they have to fight tooth and nail not to become institutions for a financial elite in our society. Now, 
On that point, folks, that's a particular heartbreak that I have as a pastor and, uh, yes, as a school board member. I have had some exposure over the years to some of the punishing financial realities of providing a good private education in an affordable way. And Christian schools, quite rightly, feel the pressure to achieve academic excellence in their faculty, their resources. Uh, They're constantly aware of the competition, if you will, that has all the resources of the public coffers. And they have many parents, at least, who want all the benefits of the public school, yet in a Christian context. And they want lavishly equipped science labs. They want generously funded football programs. And folks, the inexorable drift of all this, uh, in my observation, has been to make Christian school education, in many cases, prohibitively expensive. It becomes an upper-middle-class luxury. It's out of reach for families especially ones who value having more than 1.8 kids per household. So um, I, I would like to pause and digress for just a minute on that point about Christian schools and the expense thereof. Uh, I would like parents to know, <clears throat> at least in my experience, every Christian school I know of does try hard to accommodate lower-income families Uh, They offer need-based scholarships so some students don't pay full tuition. They offer discounts to families with multiple children. That's a wonderful acknowledgement of the greater needs of those families. And sometimes they offer employment opportunities to moms, for example, to offset tuition costs. And I'm just in this digression saying, parents, if you have been scared off by the sticker price uh, of a Christian school, even a Christian home school Co-op, you ought to look closer. You ought to begin at least dialogue. I've seen this again and again, uh, that Christian schools are more accessible than are sometimes uh, thought to be. And um, I, yeah, I say that to uh, encourage families in this area. But, but that still uh, leaves Christian education costs, even in the best of scenarios, over a typical lifespan of a family in, oh, the many tens, many, many tens of thousands of dollars. And uh, that's more money than many Christian families think they have to spend. So that's the first. It's a very gritty, real uh, reason uh, to consider the public school option, the sheer expense of providing a Christian education. But here's the second that comes uh, to my mind and uh, from my observation. It's the academic and extracurricular resources uh, that turn many parents to the public schools. And surely, when it comes to what money can buy, uh, it's hard to compete with Uncle Sam. Uh, Depending on the school system, there is a wealth of resources in the public schools. Uh, Actually, I think depending on, of course, the community in some uh, public high schools, uh, there's a wealth of resources that rival some colleges, at least in certain ways, whether it's vocational training or honors level or college prep classes. Speaking of college, um, that's increasingly obscenely expensive too. And so I see and completely understand how many parents, especially as they their kids enter in the high school, they want to position their children well for college and for college 
that's affordable. They want to, for example, have classes uh, their kids will get college credit for in high school. They want the opportunity in their high school to build the kind of resume that will uh, make them eligible for college scholarships. Uh, I have now worked through the college application and decision process four times. And believe me, I get it. Uh, these are all pressures, especially in our day. And then certainly there are Christian parents who want uh, the athletic opportunities uh, that a public school offers their children, uniquely offers their children. That may actually be the single greatest draw uh, in my experience. There's a gifted athlete in the home. Uh, there may even be the prospect for an athletic career, at least a chance at an athletic scholarship for college. And the best way to get position for all of that is to be where the talent scouts uh, are looking. I'll just add, uh, in some cases, it's actually the special ed program offered by the public school systems that draws the attention of Christian parents quite understandably. There's a, there's a special need child in the home uh, requiring a certain kind of teacher training and uh, classroom context. Typical Christian school doesn't have all that kind of resource, and very often the local public school does. I, I'm sure I've overlooked some other factors that turn parents' heads towards the public school. Uh, those are just the main ones that I've observed over the years. And I, I just point out, in, in some cases, those are the factors uh, that are at work in the experience of Christian parents that actually change their mind uh, about the public school option. Perhaps in the early years of their parenting, they in principle, as they would have thought, ruled out the public school option. But in the advancing years of their kids' education, these factors are so compelling it brings about a change of perspective. By the way, uh, to my younger uh, fellow parents, uh, just this word to the wise, if you're starting your family, do be mindful of the fact uh, that there can be a certain kind of idealism on the front end that collides with a certain reality on the back end of parenting. So uh, just be slow to opine about things that, well, one day you may have to live down. I have been summarizing the things that make the public school option, uh, at least as I see it, so compelling to so many Christian parents, and I trust that we can all feel the weight of those considerations. But it's one thing for an argument to be compelling. It's another thing for it to be persuasive. And now I want to move to the question again. What should we think about this? Is the public school a faithful option for Christian parents who are seeking to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Now, the first thing I have to say, and something I have always believed, that may be a disappointment to some of my listeners, I don't know, uh, is this. Friends, we simply can't rule out all non-Christian education for our children as somehow inherently wrong. We simply can't do that. Now, over the years, I've, I have heard uh, some very compelling principled arguments against any and all secular education. They 
uh, typically point out that education from an atheistic or even an agnostic perspective is a fundamentally, foundationally flawed education. There is something idolatrous about all unbelieving worldviews, and there is something actually anti-Christian about all supposedly irreligious or secular institutions. And friends, as I've heard those arguments against all non-Christian education uh, as inherently wrong, I have felt the weight of all of them. I've cut my teeth on enough Ventilian presuppositionalism to be sympathetic, and uh, I'll be saying a few things in a moment that will show the influence of that perspective. But I just want to make this simple, I think, uh, very common-sense observation. Friends, no one wants to assert that we as Christians have nothing to learn from non-Christians. No one wants to assert that, I trust. Indeed, whether we are young or old, we are all, as Christians, constantly acquiring true knowledge, true wisdom from outside the community of faith. I mean, that's as simple as your ongoing occupational training at work, or the driver's ed that your kids are getting, or the math videos we use, uh, perhaps, with our kids, or the books, the many books, I hope, in your home, that we rightly read and assign to our children. I'm just pointing out we all recognize that amid all the intellectual rebellion of the unbelieving world, there is a lot to learn, too. And the doctrine that lies behind this is the doctrine of common grace. That's how we account for that. And it means that it's hardly possible, which is to say it's not possible to argue against non-Christian education on principle in some absolutist way. In other words, to take the position that it's wrong any and all times to make use of the public school system in educating our kids. I'm offering that, and I will share, as many of you are aware, other college choices that my wife and I have made for our kids. One of our offspring is in a Christian college. Three have been in state university educations. Now, Oh my, the college decision. Uh, That has certainly not been my favorite part of parenting. And um, perhaps I'll devote a podcast to that subject one day. But obviously, uh, I myself have acted on this thesis that there is legitimacy to non-Christian formal education. My state university kids, they've actually sat under some Christians in their particular institutions, but They've also studied history and English and various engineering topics under total pagans. And um, I simply note some of the greatest enthusiasts for Christian elementary and secondary education have made the same decision that my wife and I have to send their kids to public universities. Many a homeschooler, for example, transitions to affordable state universities and so on. So... If someone who's advocating for Christians making use of the public school system, and some Christians do advocate for this, uh, if they ask me, what's the difference between your 18-year-old receiving a secular education in the public university and my 17-year-old receiving a secular education in the public high school, my answer would be potentially very little. And in principle, perhaps nothing at all, all things being equal. For all my zeal for Christian education for our children, I have no zeal to make a principled argument against any and all secular schooling 
or non-Christian education. Now, I'm emphasizing this because as I continue, it may be easy to forget what I'm saying right now. I'm going to be making, folks, a prudential argument against the public school option. I'm going to be making that case uh, pretty hard. But hear me now. I know the difference between a prudential decision and a principial one. A prudential decision is when one weighs the wisdom of a matter. Something is, after all, more or less wise. That's the nature of a prudential decision. A principial decision is a weighing of the morality of the matter. Something is right or wrong. And yes, I'm aware it's a moral failing to act unwisely, but the factors for deciding the wisdom of something, by definition, are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. They require the application of broad biblical principles to specific circumstances. And that, my friends, is why this decision has always been a matter of pure parental freedom at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Over the years, I've uh, watched and even uh, come alongside of parents who've weighed this option of public school. And I've given counsel uh, when I'm asked, but I've also said, even in these very words, I support you in your decision. My plea pastorally to especially my fellow members at Resurrection, give that same kind of support uh, to your fellow parents as they make decisions in this regard. This is a prudential decision. Don't presume that you know better than your brother or sister all the factors that are uh, to be weighed in making this decision, even where you feel strongly and differently about the prudence of their decision. So, I would simply say, we cannot rule out all non-Christian education for our children as inherently wrong. I think I've been clear on this point. So as I continue, uh, I'm now going to summarize the counsel that I typically have given. And as a rule, there are some notable exceptions, my counsel points urgently and decisively away from public schools. So here's the first of three things uh, that are part of my counsel in this area. Folks, number one, we need to face the fact that public education in America has become increasingly anti-Christian education with an agenda that is truly antithetical to all that we're doing as Christian parents. We need to face that fact as parents. I thought about doing some rummaging uh, in all the sources available to this uh, day uh, for evidence to back up this assertion, uh, the state of public education in our land. But it occurred to me I don't actually think that's necessary, especially in the year 2023. Uh, In light of the last five years in particular, I, I think we've all been deluged with evidence of agendas in the public school system, the proselytizing zeal that uh, drives those agendas, and they are agendas that are in so many ways antithetical to what we're doing as Christian parents. The one most recent anecdote uh, that came to me was from family uh, that live in the state of New Jersey, and uh, there was 
a report of at least one school system, if not the whole state school system, that uh, presented elementary school kids the first day of class with a paper on their desk that they were to include, among other kinds of information, not only their names, but their pronouns. This is not going to be a surprise to most of my hearers, I'm sure. By the way, I hope there is absolutely no doubt in your minds that young Americans susceptible to what has come to be called gender confusion uh, are experiencing something that that has been inflicted on them in large part uh, in the public school system. I actually take it as a given. Any Christian parent with his head somewhere other than in the sand knows what I'm asserting here. The, uh, the, the, the state of affairs in the public school system in America is not good. It's increasingly anti-Christian in its agenda. Now, as I say that, I'm aware that I've been using this very broad expression, public education in America. That's pretty broad. I, I'm aware of that, and I, I think we all need to be mindful of the fact that it's not one monolithic whole. As a matter of fact, I am very thankful uh, to hear occasionally of little pockets of common grace sanity in the public schools in our land. Uh, I hear of communities, maybe they're in the upper Midwest, I don't know, but communities that are so heavily Christian uh, that the public schools are dominated by Christians, or charter schools in some cases, in which very socially conservative parents, if not Christian parents, are reigning a great deal of what I'm talking about in. But folks, I, I just would submit, it appears that such places are few and far between, and they are a disappearing lot. Whatever the case may be in those local circumstances, there is still this thing we call statewide educational curriculum. And those agendas that I spoke about uh, are embedded in so many ways in the curriculum in the public school system. Good teachers can only do so much with bad curriculum. So here's what Christian parents need to reckon with as they consider the public school option. Because of all this that I'm saying, and I take, really I do, I take as a, as a given, undebatable. Here's what the public school option necessitates for conscientious Christian parents. It necessitates a kind of concerted countermeasure parenting for your public school kids. So this is elementary. Uh, You not only need to instill in your children solid convictions regarding biblical truth, but you also need to do so while counteracting all that is opposing that in the educational environment that, that you have placed them in. You need to ensure in the course of all of that, that your influence remains greater than the godless influences in their lives. I've already commented on the the challenge of retaining primacy of parental influences when other influences are more ubiquitous, ever-present in our children's lives. Now, add to that challenge the problem of influences in our children's lives that are spiritually corrosive, by the way, oftentimes in the sweetest and most well-intentioned of progressive uh, teachers. I think especially in the sweetest and well-intentioned progressive teachers is that influence most uh, dangerous. Parents, uh, 
in the typical public school setting, uh, the educational influences, being at direct odds to your own, requires two things of you. Number one, the prayerful conviction that your son or daughter is up for the battle of resisting such influences. That's the first thing that's required of you in making a decision in wisdom to opt for the public school. It's the prayerful conviction that your son or daughter is up for the battle of resisting such influences. And the second thing that's necessary to opt wisely for the public school is the prayerful resolution that you'll be actively counteracting those influences in their lives. I'm leaving room, or trying to, uh, for parents who offer public education when both of those things are in hand. But I've seen plenty of parents who lack those two things. Their children are not spiritually grounded enough for what they encounter in the public school, especially in the early years. And to be frank, their parental influence is not compelling enough in the lives of their children. And friends, when kids come to identify more with their teacher's perspective and their unbelieving friend's priorities in the public school. My unspoken question to Christian parents is, what did you expect? The education you chose for your child did what that educational establishment intended for it to do. Again, the younger your children, uh, the more potentially devastating the public school option can be. And I just point out that as disastrous as the liberal agenda has been in state universities, at least there's a resistance movement, and many of them by conservative students and organizations and even professors. There's not much resistance to secular indoctrination by 10-year-old public school students. In their situation, the adults in their lives are just sweetly and matter-of-factly telling them what to think. So parents, before you commit your children to the public school, face these realities squarely. The purposes of those educators do not align with your own purposes as parents. Take that at face value. They want something for your kids that you don't want, and vice versa. And that influence in your children's lives will need to be counteracted by special vigilance. It may make certain things about parenting easier. It will most certainly make other things about parenting easier harder. And I'll just wrap up this first point by simply noting to my fellow Christian parents, considering the public schools in these days, folks, every, pardon me, even conscientious non-Christian parents are abandoning the public schools these days. Doesn't that make clear that at least for most of us, in most circumstances, the wise course is to do the same? I'm so thankful from men like Joel Bells, founder of World Magazine, uh, who has been winsomely calling Christian parents to pull their kids from the public schools, to commit them to Christian education since the 1990s, if not before. My friends, I think the prudential case for doing so has only grown exponentially since then. So my first Word of counsel is we need to face the fact that public education in America has become increasingly anti-Christian education with an agenda that's antithetical 
to all we're doing as Christian parents. Here's the second element of my counsel. Opting for the public school deprives our children of something vital to their spiritual development, namely exposure to Christian scholarship and what I'll call Christian worldview thinking. Now consider with me for a moment. Here's a kind of rough and ready rationale. I've heard it from Christian parents uh, for opting for the public school, especially, I get it, when they're feeling the pressure of the financial or the pull of the extracurricular considerations. It goes something like this. Well, I went to public school and I turned out all right. Or so-and-so's kids went to public school and they turned out all right. Now, that's an anecdotal argument, uh, and it is comparing the assets of the public school and seeing them as outweighing the potential liabilities for uh, children. And uh, what's tipping the balance in some cases is knowing certain Christian kids uh, that fared tolerably well, if not very well. I think um, I think there can be something very reassuring about this, just on an intuitive level. Um, examples in our lives of Christian families that uh, have had children that have, as we say, turned out well, despite the less than ideal circumstances of their education. And folks, I, I do not want to deny this. I believe in the power of God and the grace of God. I have seen public schools be successes for parents, Christian parents, and I've seen them uh, bring about or be part of what brings about heartbreak for parents. So it is not uh, insignificant uh, to note these anecdotes. Uh, I will point out just as an aside, this is not the most profound thing I'll have to say, of course, but the stronger the Christian home, uh, the more solid the marital and parental relationship, the more conscientious the parenting, the more is happening that's right in the home. Well, I think the better the prospects for success for kids. Uh, who uh, are educated in the public schools. Uh, there's a certain kind of spiritual uh, inoculation that uh, kids can experience uh, by uh, growing up in strong uh, Christian homes. But here's the thing that I want to point out that's um, missing uh, in this decision-making calculus that I've just referred to. In other words, will my kids be able to benefit more from the resources of public schools and they suffer the potential ill effects? Here's the thing that's missing in that calculus. Here's the question. What's the cost of my kids never receiving uh, the one thing that a Christian education uniquely can provide, which is training specifically in how to think Christianly about the world? My fellow parents, is that not what you are wholly invested in as parents, providing that kind of education to your children to enable them to think Christianly about everything in order that they might act Christianly in every way? That's what you're seeking to do as parents uh, in all the informal ways that you provide a Christian education to your children, lying down, rising up, walking by the way, as we saw from Deuteronomy 6, but that's also what a good formal Christian education does, and that's a tremendous amount of strength uh, for your hands in your task as a Christian parent. Um, a non-Christian education can provide many good things along with the bad, 
But here's one thing it cannot provide. It cannot equip your child to have the mind of Christ. That's not possible in a non-Christian education. Think about it. Uh, Especially if your kids go to secular universities or vocational schools. Consider, um, they may never have exposure to intellectually rigorous Christian thought in action, at least not as part of their formal education if they don't have that in the K-8 to years. Uh, They may find it in books. Hopefully they will. Um, in Christian pulpits. Um, Perhaps they'll do what many of us have done uh, in the church today, play catch-up as adults in acquiring this understanding of how to think Christianly. But it seems like quite a high opportunity cost for our children never to be led in this during their most formative and developing years, the years of their lives when they are awakening intellectually, when their educators are able to guide them in decidedly Christian ways. This is the opportunity cost I'm wanting to highlight. I went to a Christian college. That's my uh, testimony. I had an immensely blessed experience of sitting under Christian scholars, and I recognized that's what they were. They were men and women who uh, had... um, intellectual gifts, and they were using their understanding of the Scripture as a way of seeing the world. And this was just an introduction for me to a whole world of Christian scholarship, and in the calling that I enjoy, I I have been able to live very close to that world of Christian scholarship. I am, in speaking this way, I I am not unrealistic about the level of Christian scholarship that we can seek to obtain in elementary and secondary education. It would not be fair to compare it in every way to Christian universities. Uh, But I will say this. One of my sons is going to the same Christian college that I attended, and I'm struck by how much of the core classes that he's taking cover the same things that his Christian high school covered in high school. And I understand that. I understand why. Christian colleges can assume almost nothing these days as they devise their core curriculum. They have to teach in their core curriculum what, note this, what I think every Christian should know before they leave home. And that's my argument for ensuring that children have a solid Christian education before they leave home so that wherever they go off to college or whether they forego college altogether, they have the fundamentals of a formal Christian education by the time they leave home. Consider one more thing that I know is near uh, and dear to every Christian parent, and that is this desire to fortify young adult children against doubts about their faith under the assaults of skepticism uh, in our culture. I think one question that arises for many Christian kids at uh, secular schools and universities in particular is, are there any real scholars that embrace the historic Christian faith? Now, the question should be should have an obvious answer to us, but it's not always obvious, my friends, to a lot of Christian kids who spent much of their life in public elementary or, or secondary um, uh, public uh, education. Uh, parents should want, at the very least, for our children to be introduced to, I'll just call it the Christian intellectual 
tradition, the very thing that many Christian freshmen are unaware of. Uh, That's certainly what I want for every young person at resurrection, that reassurance, however intellectually oriented they may themselves be, that assurance that Christians are deep thinkers too, and we have among us and in our tradition uh, some of the best and brightest minds to be assured that the church is honest about the hard issues of life, to be certain that the Bible has answers to the issues of our day. This is not only achieved by formal Christian education, but it is uniquely and supremely achieved by formal Christian education. So parents, my appeal here is don't just weigh the risk-benefit of your local public high school program, for example, um, in terms of the benefits of the athletic program or advanced college placement, et cetera, et cetera. Do those benefits outweigh the risks? Please also consider the opportunity cost of a public education for your kids. The non-Christian education is a lost opportunity during a most critical stage of development. I really don't know of something more conspicuously absent in the coming generation of the church than an ability to think rigorously and biblically as Christians. So there's a lot of things to deprive our kids of, (laughs) a car, a cell phone, what have you that we don't generally uh, these days. Consider not depriving them of the privilege of sitting under Christians thinking Christianly and teaching them how to do so. We want Christian young people who are grounded in their faith and able to pass it on to their children and able to engage our culture with solid answers in the midst of the confusion and chaos that is increasingly all around us. So opting for the public school deprives our children of something vital to their spiritual development. I'm speaking of exposure to a Christian scholarship and Christian worldview thinking. But I have one more prudential consideration uh, for my fellow Christian parents who may come to consider uh, the public school option. And th- this is, um, this will require uh, just a little unpacking. Here's what I want to say. In your zeal to do what is best for your own kids, do not overlook the opportunity to do what is best for the larger church in our time. Here I'm trying to say something to the family who's weighing all these considerations. They're sizing up their children, where they are spiritually and so on. They're sizing up the the influence of their parenting. They're sizing up their local circumstances, and they're coming to this kind of a conclusion. Public school may not be the best for other Christian families, perhaps even most Christian families, but in my situation, it's best for my family and my kids. Well, fair enough, and I'm willing to grant uh, that conclusion. But my final word of counsel to my fellow parents is to factor into their educational decisions for their children something that frankly never occurs to most Christian parents. That's the opportunity to do something that is best, not just for your children, but for the children of your local church. 
the children of the larger church as a whole. Now, I wonder if I sound like I'm speaking Greek to many. This is um, not just unintuitive, it's anti-intuitive. I can imagine uh, some listening to me here being confused a little bit, perhaps, uh, uh, even indignant. They might say, wait a minute, wait just a minute. I have got plenty on my plate just thinking about my own kids and their well-being. That's my calling as a mom and dad, isn't it? To do what's best for my kids? So please, don't tell me I've got to consider other people's kids in making decisions about mine. Well, I would simply reply in a way that I hope will be impactful at least to my fellow Presbyterians. This is not a very covenantal way of thinking about raising our children Covenant theology, we reviewed that early in this series, doesn't just apply to our own parenting. It underscores that we are together as a community devoted to this task of creating sharp arrows in the service of our King. And so, as parents, I would assert we should indeed make decisions based on more than our own kids' well-being. So someone says, where are you going with this, Pastor Trice? Well, let me, let me tell you, and please hear me out. Friends, when I just back up and look at, in the broadest way possible, the well-being of the church in America in our day, I think it a blindingly obvious fact. If we as a church en masse hand over the education of our children to the world, this will constitute nothing less than suicide. It will effectively be the end of the church because it will bring about the loss in mass of our children, if not their very souls, at least their clarity of conviction and zeal for action in the areas that are most important in our day. The church will become impotent in the midst of our cultural decay. Now, some would say this has already happened. That's a fait accompli. I'm not that pessimistic, but I think it a real threat. If we as a church, thinking in the broadest way possible, hand the education of our children over to the world, we're committing suicide. Now, I actually think that there's a fair number of parents, perhaps even some that are considering public schools in their unique circumstances, that would actually be sympathetic to this assessment uh, if they thought about it for a moment. Public school really isn't the solution for the church as a whole, speaking broadly, It would probably be best if not every Christian family opted for it. I think a lot of Christian parents uh, would grant that. Here's what I'm pleading for, though. I'm pleading for more Christian parents who make decisions about their own children with the good of the rest of the church in mind. If public schools are not the answer for the church as a whole, then be very slow, at least, to conclude that they're the answer for your family. Here's what I'm really doing. I'm calling for Christian parents to be leaders, influencers, I think is the word that's used today, in their educational decisions, not making decisions based purely on what is good for your own kids, but considering what is the impact of my decision on the larger community I'm a part of, and how can I make decisions, yes, for the good of my children that are also consistent with what is good for the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. 
Doesn't your presence in that homeschool co-op strengthen that community? I surely hope it does. Doesn't your support of the Christian high school keep it thriving and on mission? Doesn't your kids' presence and involvement make those institutions doing their noble work so much more effective and even viable? By the way, I know that I speak for Christian school administrators around the country. Providing a solid Christian high school education is the most challenging, and it receives the least support from Christian parents. I I think that's the case with Christian schools all across the country. And uh, the great defection, you might call it, to the public schools begins around ninth grade for all the reasons that I have spoken of earlier. Compelling reasons, considering each family or each individual son or daughter, very compelling reasons, but often reasons weighed without any consideration of what is best for the church as a whole. Folks, I'm really here calling for a kingdom perspective on your educational choices. I spoke of that back in the summer in this uh, podcast series. Doing all that we do with the good of the church and the advancement of the kingdom in mind, not just the well-being of me and mine. I need to add here, I have been so humbled to see this very kind of kingdom perspective in Christian families with regard to Christian education. It's a kind of selflessness. Families, for example, with resources to send their kids to elite private academies, but who are committed to their local homeschool co-op or their Christian school. By the way, um, that's a pretty powerful parental example to set for your kids. Can't resist pointing this out decision-making, even about their education, in light of what's best for the church as a whole, because that's what you want parents to see in those men and women that emerge from your homes. You want to see that for the rest of their lives. Decision-making in every area, in light of what's best for Christ's bride. So parents, ask not what your local school options can do for you. To paraphrase badly a famous president, in all seriousness, ask what you, your children, your family is able to contribute to the shared ambition and project of the covenant community you're a part of to raise men and women that are mighty in the Lord. I am saying that many times more than not, that will point towards the weight of your presence and participation in formal Christian education endeavors for the good of the church, facing a very threatening future and facing a public school option that, historically at least, is at its very worst. So in your zeal to do what is best for your own kids, do not overlook the opportunity to do what is best for the larger church in our time. Well, I will conclude at this point, but I must warn you, as my brother, Pastor Rosser, sometimes does, I have a longish conclusion. As I conclude on this subject of Christian education, question mark, 
my mind and heart goes to Christian parents who feel they have no good alternative to the public school option. And I am aware that in some cases, in light of certain circumstances, that's exactly how it is. And when the public school option is the only educational option for parents, and they've prayerfully committed their way to the Lord, I just simply but uh, remind us our God knows, and our God is faithful. And we entrust ourselves and our children to him in such circumstances. But I just want to say as a pastor, may that never be the case that the public school option is the only option, merely for financial reasons. That's how I want to conclude this podcast. I have a final challenge, both for families and for churches, regarding making Christian education accessible. So families first, Christian parents first. I want to say to you, providing a Christian education for your children may require significant modification to your standard of living, but it is worth it. Back to those sheer economics of it all, this bears saying, be sure that you're not assuming that typically self-indulgent American lifestyle when you conclude we can't afford Christian education. Friends, uh, a Christian education is worth living in a smaller house to achieve for your children. I'm thinking right now as I record this of some families that I have watched through the years raise their kids with a commitment to Christian education, and it meant that they lived in a more modest house in a less than fully ideal part of the uh, of the city. I think uh, in those fundamental ways, that's a testimony to kingdom priorities. So before you say we can't afford a Christian education, have you considered downsizing? Have you considered that second part-time job? Have you considered some other kind of budgetary austerity to make it possible? I'm Submitting to you that it is worth such radical measures to give your children a Christian education, whether that's in the home and mothers who stay home to provide it, or in some academy, Christian academy. But here's my word to churches, uh, which is to say uh, the community of the local church as a whole Friends, providing a Christian education for the children of our churches is going to require financial support from the broader covenant community. I want you to just think for a minute about obvious sociological differences between middle-class America and those who are committed to a biblical Christianity lived out. Middle-class America takes several things for granted, do they not? Uh, Several things. Two incomes taken for granted. Two kids, if that, and free public education. Now that, together, creates a certain socioeconomic situation, doesn't it? Middle-class America, two incomes, two kids, if that, and free public education. Here's the direction, I would submit, that Christians with biblical priorities typically tend towards as much as possible. One income, not two incomes significantly more than two kids, and comparatively expensive Christian education. 
Now, when there is that more traditional family arrangement, one income, significantly more than two kids, comparatively expensive Christian education, these are once again very challenging financial realities for even frugal Christian families. And I just, uh, it's as clear to me as anything, our young families in the church in many cases are going to need our financial help as the church if they're going to be able to afford formal Christian education. Uh, To my fellow members at Resurrection, I want you to know this is already something your deacons are mindful of and committed to. They recognize Christian education as right up there, photo finish to other necessities of life like food, shelter, and transportation. So talk to your deacons. If you're feeling like you have no other option financially but a free public education, receive their counsel to be sure. There may be possible lifestyle decisions that they will advise you to make, but also be willing to receive financial support from your local church where you have need of that in order to provide a Christian education for your children. My word to those of you who are unencumbered by all these costs of Christian education, you don't have children or your child-rearing days are now in the past, consider, my friends, this as one of the most worthy of charitable causes you could contribute to. Your support of Christian education, all its varied forms, is kingdom work. Tithe to your local church. Give generously to Christian education for the sake of the church and its future. Well, as I say, uh, friends, this is a topic I've been thinking about for some time. Christian education question mark. Uh, And this is my best effort to distill it all into one sitting, at least one sitting for me. (laughs) Uh, I am ready to move on now from all these educational questions in the new year. Uh, I am turning my attention to some practical questions about raising kids in the second decade. Um, All manner of things that are in my mind, uh, from having the talk uh, to eventually kicking them out of the house, so to speak. Um, Can I just say that I am thankful for all the good feedback that I've received about this Resurrection Life podcast in 2022, and it has helped encourage me to make this Uh, and more episodes of this podcast of Priority uh, in 2023. So until next time, may the Lord keep you in His grace. Christ is risen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.